means truth. So tell me about your spiritual journey. What's up? Uh, welcome to Top of Tuesday. This is The Conduit on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcast. So excited to have my guest here with me. I have Mr. John Orlandello here, the universal missiologist on the podcast today. So I'm, I'm super excited to finally have you on the podcast. I know there's been... <laughs> some things, you know, that have come up and you've been really flexible with uh, changing our recording time. So I'm excited to finally be here. Welcome. and Thank you. Me too. Thank you for having <laughs> me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I, I feel like it's going to be really good. And um, even though I don't ever really know what comes out of this, you know, I don't really have any pre-planning or anything like that, except to just Talk about your truth, right? So tapa is the Sanskrit word that means truth. And we talk about the spiritual journey on here. And then I also allow for spirit to kind of guide the conversation. So, yeah, I mean, that being said, I would love to hear about your spiritual journey. So wherever you, you want to start or whatever you want to share. And yeah, I'm here for it. Awesome. Should I define the universal missiologist? I would, yes. I think okay. you define the, what that means. Okay. Sure. So, you know, universal, just meaning universal, basically, you know, like applies to everything. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but missiologist being like the, um, the study of the mission, right? So like you say, like the journey of truth, the journey to God, to spirit. So the study of the mission. And sometimes that mission gets put into certain contexts. Like if you look up that word, it might be like the Christian mission or this mission. But it's just, to me, the mission in general, right, that we're all on. So like that's what I try to study, which is quite a broad topic, right? But, um, but yeah. yeah, that's where I've come from. And my life, maybe we can talk a little bit about my story. But like yeah. that's kind of what's brought me to that. And actually, I did graduate from seminary, and my um, my thing was in missiology, which was kind of like cross-cultural teaching, right, and going on missions and that kind of idea. I think that's pretty amazing. I guess, does that make me a universal missiologist as well? Probably so. Yeah, probably <laughs> so. I think you're definitely on that road. Yes. Oh, Yeah. Oops, I dropped my microphone. Um, yeah, I definitely think I'm on the mission of 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 exploring the missions. Yeah. I'm on the mission of exploring the missions and the journeys and just I really love to hear about the ex the human experience. Mm -hmm. Because we are spiritual beings having human experiences. And I yeah. really love 
hearing about the different souls journey. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely excited to hear about, you know, your story and your conception of God or source or, or whatever, whatever really you want to share. Thank you. Yeah. I, as I thought about this opportunity, I thought, um, about where I've come from and, um, and where my parents have come from. And, you know, you just start thinking back. Right. And, um, I come from, uh, Massachusetts and an area outside of Boston. Um, and I was born in Melrose and I grew up in Revere and Chelsea until I was like in elementary school kind of times. And my, my father, he, uh, grew up in a small Italian family, one of three brothers, the youngest. And, um, his father died when he was really young and then he got shipped off to Vietnam and, uh, he ended up in Germany and then he got himself kicked out of the army and, um, and then he became a heroin addict Mm. and he was uh, a Woodstock goer and he kind of developed a mindset that was a little bit, um, against the current or not with the current a little bit. Um, and my mother had a different experience. She was from a bigger family in Chelsea, Massachusetts. And um, she went to college and was doing well and then had some issues um, getting pregnant and then losing the child, I believe. And, uh, and then after that, she had some shaky times. So her and my father, they met when they were uh, kind of, at a hard point in their lives. And they were with a lot of other people that had like hard things going on. Um, And they together kind of banded together and worked through their own problems to a good degree and started to uh, connect to the spirit. And that was a really effective thing in their lives. And that's what brought about my life and my, my brother and my sister. And, um, yeah, it's really cool that my parents were able to make some of those strides and certainly nothing was perfect. And, uh, we had a lot of struggles, but, um, one of the things that happened was when I was born, I was born with a cleft lip and palate where your mouth and nose are not formed. So, um, you know, they don't know exactly why those things happen, but, uh, but yeah, so I had that and my mom was quite an advocate. She's a nurse. So she was quite an advocate for me and getting me the health care that I needed to form my face so I could talk today and uh, all that kind of thing. So she's pretty amazing in that way. And I grew up with a mom who really spent a lot of like uh, crucial time with me and uh, made me feel comfortable. And my father was uh, a really great provider for our family and did a lot of great things. And he was um, a part of a large Christian organization that he was uh, he graduated from and uh, was a, a cook in their, um, basically their kitchen. Um, so that's what he did for a long time. And then we moved to Maryland, which is where I grew up in my teens. And uh, a very interesting childhood there. And that's where I ended up. Um, we moved back to Massachusetts. Uh, I graduated high school there. And I moved back to Maryland and went to the seminary that my dad had graduated and um, that's where I kind of lost my zeal for Christianity <laughs> was in Bible college because um, I'm a truth seeker first and foremost. And you can't really put truth in a box because uh, it's it's outside. It will forever be unknown, even though we're always coming to know it. Right. 
because there's way more than, of it than we'll ever grasp. And, um, and I, I, that's where I learned like putting truth and putting God and putting ourselves in a box can be very dangerous. Um, and I saw that play out and, um, and I didn't want a part of it, you know, and even when I was in Bible college, like I was losing my appeal for it. And I had the chance to leave and go to South Africa with a team of people that were going there after apartheid. So I went wow. and uh, it was kind of spur of the moment. I was planning to go somewhere else on my own just for a fun. Um, and then that opportunity opened up and I was like, I'll go with these people. It's kind of dangerous there. And um, I felt like I was a man and I could go there and I wanted to be tough and, and at the same time, like spiritual or whatever, you know, so I took that opportunity and it ended up being such a humbling experience. And I ended up staying five years and um, it was life changing, obviously, to live in a completely different culture on another part of the earth and, um, you know, being there to help people with schools and different things like that. It was a quite a cool mission at the same time. Even though, again, as I was there, I was losing my zeal for the mission that I was on, you know, so it was quite, <laughs> quite interesting. But like that didn't spoil the experience completely. But um, right. but it's amazing when you put yourself on a certain road and, and you have to be on that road. It, it keeps you from so many things at times, you know. So I was learning that lesson, continuing to learn that lesson. And um, I would come home once every summer. And when I came home the fourth summer, I met my now wife. And uh, I was like, oh, I'd love to come home next year and be with you. And, you know, she wasn't completely sold out on the idea. But, um, <laughs> but in time, we, we made that work. But uh, when I met my wife and we decided to get married and stuff, we, we knew that we were going to choose a more universal path. And, um, and that path brought us to South Carolina, which is where I've raised my children. And uh, I have a 16 and a 15-year-old son, uh, two sons. And... My wife has homeschooled them and we've kind of stayed out of the the set boxes that are here for us as much as we can, you know, but at the same time integrating with everybody as much as we can, because it's not like if you're in a box that makes you the box, right? You're still yeah. you, you know what I mean? It kind of determines some of the things you might be at that time, but it's not necessarily who you are at all, you know, because I was there, I was the most boxed up person you could have, you know? Um, so, and that wasn't me, um, but it's very interesting to kind of go through that process and, um, you know, lose your religion in a sense, right? Um, yeah. And unlearn a lot of things that you think you knew, <laughs> you know, it's amazing. That's kind of a, a big part of my journey was just, you know, I feel like my parents kind of made the first steps to kind of leave like the normal kind of like, this is what we do in life. And then I've taken steps with my wife and, and others in the culture to kind of, you know, be a universal missiologist, you know, study the mission from all, all aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Um, I definitely want to hear more about your experiences in, in South Africa. Yeah. Um, because you said that it was a life, life changing experiences. Mm -hmm. So I definitely want to hear more about that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about it. Yeah. So I went to South Africa, which is the country at the bottom and the, uh, the capital was Johannesburg. So we flew into Johannesburg and that's where we were planning to live. And um, at the time when apartheid fell, 
Um, the government was primarily white, and uh, they were now out of government. And now the new government under Nelson Mandela came in, and he's of the Koza tribe. So the Kozas uh, ended up getting a lot of positions of power, which there's like 12 different tribes in South Africa. So certainly some of the other tribes felt like, oh, we don't really have equal representation here, you know. So it was interesting to kind of learn you know, more than just South Africa, right? Like there's, there's different peoples there with different culture, different ideas, um, different ancestry. So um, that was kind of neat to learn some of that stuff. We ended up not staying in Johannesburg because it was so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of like breakdowns on the streets all the time. So we ended up moving to Pretoria, which is um, where a lot of universities are and things like that. Um, it was still had its issues, but we we really enjoyed living there. Um, the thing that changed my life was the people. Um, uh, that's what changed my life. Uh, certainly the culture is completely different. Like, for example, I land in the airport and I get out and we're in a, a whatever, a cab or whatever, and driving on the road and the hills are on fire and they're gold and it was like the most like i'm just like what am i in like is this a war zone like what is this and in in reality they're just burning the grass and it's a completely normal thing that they do but like these hills outside of johannesburg are made of gold ore so like it's like the leftover from gathering all the gold so they shine gold and it's on fire so it's like little things like that will shock you and you're like oh my god where am i you know but like in the end what what changes everything is the people you spend your time with or the places that you you go and um i spent time in south africa it's like a hub for a lot of people in in africa that lose homes they end up coming down and they can find refuge in south africa and um I got to live with people from Sudan and people from Rwanda um, and, you know, Swaziland and all these different places. So I got to spend time with these people in this kind of melting pot of Africa, in a sense. Um, So it was was just kind of interesting. I I, the people changed my life, you know, that I met a kid. His name is Daniel, and he traveled from Sudan all the way to South Africa. Um, and it took him six months and he wasn't trying to get to South Africa. He would just go to a country to find safety. And then after a while, they would kick him out and he would go to the next country. And the same thing would happen. And he worked his way all the way down. And that's incredible distance. And um, he was one of 13 children and the other 12 were were dead. And his oh. mom, yeah. And his mom asked him to leave. And he's actually on the list of the lost boys of Sudan, um, which that's what they're called. And it's quite amazing that just in my path with no uh, intention to meet him or to meet anyone like him, you get to be with people like that for six months or a year of your life. And it's life changing because their their tone, their vibe, their way of connecting, their perception is so different. Um, It's so much more like rich and humble at the same time, you know. Is like they'll they'll anything can uh, they'll hold on to, but at the same time, um, they're so humble to not feel like they have everything in their hands. Yeah, and when you say that they they are mm-hmm. non-American people outside of our country, outside of America. Yeah, you could even say like outside of Westernized culture. Right. Um, yeah, maybe, and um, and also people that have 
experience life without um without the without without being afforded the privilege of relying on a system to take care of them right so like many people that i got to see they they relied on a a tribal culture to take care of them you know so maybe they had you know whatever a hundred families in the tribe or or 50 families or whatever it is but it's a much smaller culture to take care of each other um and there's groups of people like that in different areas and and to have that experience it's i mean i didn't have it but it must be amazing you know to and it certainly has its shortcomings right like we think it's awesome because i can just go travel anywhere and i can do this and i have i have money and i have that or whatever it might be that you think or i think makes me free and powerful but in another way to be a part of that kind of culture that's smaller and more fixed I right. think it can also really provide tremendous purpose and strength and stability. And those are a lot of things that now being a father of a family, I feel like, wow, that would be kind of nice to have, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Truth and trust that we all agree with and we get along with, and this is how we do it. You know, that would be nice. I think we would really like that, but you just can't create that with, you know, with cash. Um, sometimes I think, we do things out of necessity. Um, you know, there's an awesome documentary that my dad turned me on to called happy where these people for six months go around the world and they spend time with groups of people. So like in India and in Africa and in Southeast Asia, and they spend time with, and even in like Westernized cultures and in the Netherlands, I remember because they had a lot of communal living, which was really neat. Um, and they had like a lady there who was, um, uh, she had lost her husband or, or whatever. She was now single and she moved there and she was regrettable about moving there. I don't want to live in a commune type thing, but like they showed from, even from her perspective, how amazing it was as a culture and how much benefit it brought to her life. And that was kind of neat. But most of the people that are happy were in places where you have very, very, very little. Um, and it's, it's just amazing. And I got to see a little bit of that in Africa where you, you have a small home, you have a small neighborhood um, and you're just more apt to in time have to accept the people around you and enjoy each other's company. And that's what they do. And they're outside by the fire and they're chilling and they're playing music and they might even be like playing music and enjoying themselves. And to me, that's what I got out of being in Africa was just this more simple approach to humanity and, um, and really wanting to be more connected with my ancestors and nature and these kind of things as well. You know, looking yeah. at the animals and stuff was amazing, Lindsay. It was incredible. I imagine yeah. so. And I feel that when I lived in Costa Rica for a little while um, in 2015, I felt that I felt the same way as you. As you. I felt that you know, I rarely was on my phone. I didn't have a TV when I lived there. Mm. All the roads were still dirt roads. I walked everywhere. Like the food was mm -hmm. fresh. And I love that the people there literally celebrated the sunrise and the sunset. Like everybody mm. would just gather at the beach. Uh, sunset, it was like a big, it was a big ritual. Everyone just sat and watched the sunset and 
I felt that people there really appreciated life and it were present in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I came back to the States after that, I had a hard time even adjusting. I thought the sound of the fridge was loud. Like I just felt like everything in the States was so loud and fast and just, it was such an interesting experience for me to live there for a while. And then just in my other travels, I feel that you can just sense the difference in culture from place to place. Mm -hmm. It's definitely different here in the mm -hmm. States. It's definitely yeah. different here. And I imagine that those folks, right, that live in other places come here and think it's amazing and it's, in in a whole different way too. Yeah, it just depends on the people. Like some of the <laughs> some of the elders that we brought over here, like they were just. And this is back in the day because this is 2000, 2002. You know, like it, this is back then. Um, they would come and see in a grocery store an aisle of dog food, and they would just be mesmerized. Like you have food for dog. You know, like, like, what is that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they barely have a grocery store, you know? So in plenty of places, like, compared to, like, having a aisles for pets, you know? Um, <laughs> it's just it's just totally different, you know? And yeah. we're just, you know, we're just getting back to composting or whatever, you know? So it's just a different mentality, you know? So for him, a, a man like him, I don't know if he would be comfortable living here, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like yeah. that. I think that this is also bringing some perspective about where we live because sometimes I've become, have become ungrateful about living here sometimes, but we really do have a lot mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. So, but it is, I think, I love that you're talking about traveling and, and living in other places because I really feel that that has contributed to a, a, a part of my personality. It's something that you can't explain to other people. I think it is something that I hope all people can experience. You know, I when I meet people that haven't really traveled out of the country or anything like that, I get a little, okay yeah okay yeah i'm like and then some of their reasons for not traveling or or whatnot i'm just like i i'm baffled sometimes by that yeah. i know and it's getting more <laughs> difficult to travel which is the hard part you know for people um like even my children they haven't traveled outside the country um by the time i was their age i was close to it if i hadn't already you know um but but i think it's just like like we, we can travel home is the concept I think like it, home is so important so when we go far from home like far from where we have been or where we've always returned then it changes things right and the further you go from that place the more it, it the more your awarenesses are going to be different you know um but I think you can also like people use different methods whether it's meditation hallucinogenics people use different methods of changing the way that their awarenesses are, right? So I feel like if I get in my kayak and I go down to the Waccamaw River and I get on that river, I feel like I can travel into another world, you know what I mean? And a lot of times, like, it happens, and it's like another world. And I'm like, 
wow. And I even forget where I am on earth. You know what I mean? It's like you're just in this place. That's all you perceive. And um, I think we can practice that as well. You know what I mean? But the traveling, you can't change that because you're you're in different people's, different way of life, different way that even, like you said, the sun might appear as it, you know what I mean? Because now you're on the ocean and you just, you know, so there's so many different aspects to things. And um, it's funny how you mentioned the sun and the moon. Of course, I love to study astrology and, and this kind of science of, of the movement of all the planets and the stars. And um, when you watch television or movies, you'll often see that at the beginning of scenes or whatever it is, they flash a shot of the sunrise or sunset or the moon in the sky and this kind of thing. And I, I always find it very manipulative of those that are producing the show because it's a way of like connecting us with nature, but only for the purpose of watching this TV show. Right. Um, but they, they kind of oblige that that is the powerful vision. Right. Like that is what we should be looking to. And they show it. And that that's why they show it, because it really it does connect to us. And I think that's what's cool about living in culture, maybe like Costa Rica, places like that, where people just you can't help but look at it. When I went to um, um, uh, down to um, what's the bottom uh, the Cape of uh, Good Hope. Yeah. At the bottom of Africa, um, there's Table Mountain, which is a two mile mountain and it's perfectly flat on top. Um, so when you go up there, everybody is looking at the sunset, you know what I mean? Like you can't help it. Like you're on top of this thing, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, what you're there for when that's happening, everyone just looks that way. Um, and it's, it's amazing when I lived there, I used to stay on my roof at night and call, uh, my wife would call me, uh, with a phone card and we talk and I'd watch the lightning and I'd watch the stars and I always had that practice. Although I knew nothing about the stars, I didn't know anything about anything, but it still was a beautiful sight. Um, and all these years later, as as we stopped going to churches and we stopped following religion, we started like the first thing I decided to do was let me just watch the moon cycle. So we as a family, we just started watching the moon cycle and just becoming aware of so many things about how that cycle manifests that changed my perception. And then we started studying the constellations and, and then we, and not even for astrological purposes, just to watch them and try to keep track of what's happening, you know, and little by little, it's, um, it's really changed our life as a family. Um, I look at the earth very differently than I used to. I look at heaven very different than I used to. And, um, and yet it all comes back. Like, you know how they say Abraham is the father of faith for like the Judaism um, Islam and Christianity mm -hmm. uh, in Genesis chapter 15 is when uh, Abraham he leaves his father's house and he goes outside and he looks up and he gives account for the stars and God told him that if you leave your father's house and you go outside and you look up and you give account for what you see you will see God yourself and your seed and I think that message is true for all of us. Like you have to leave the structure of men. You have to go outside into reality because outside is what is true. It's creation. It's alive. So we go outside and we look up because that's where uh, heaven rules over earth. The sun determines the day, right? And all these things. So I look up and I give account for what I see. And as I'm aware of that cycle, I become aware of myself. 
I become aware of you. I become aware of those that will come from those of us that are here, you know, and I, we also learn about the source. Um, so to me, the source is that oneness um, it, it, that we all have received. We all have a uniqueness and a one of a kindness. And I believe that the first one is the eternal great spirit. And he is the one that all of us ones come from, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how I look at it. I don't put a name to the one because I don't know his name, but I know the meaning of his name and it's the most beautiful name. Right. And we sum it up in perfecting love or whatever we say, but, uh, and I have different charts that I make. That's one of the things I do. And I try to bring a greater picture to that love, to that one, you know, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I see the spirit in, in some aspect. That's cool. It just reminded me of, I did a holotropic breathwork session, a private session, mm, over a year ago. And, you know, the practitioner told me that when you do holotropic breathwork, you're basically producing, the brain produces DMT. And so you kind of go on a little mini trip. Mm -hmm. And... I did the breath work and at a certain point you, you stop doing the breath work and you just kind of lay there in a Shavasana, like in a receiving mode. And the vision that I had was myself. I turned into a celestial, the celestial body. Like I just was stars. Like I became one with the stars mm -hmm. and I received all these messages about my ancestors and about my mission here, what I'm supposed to be doing here on earth. And I cried because I felt the most beautiful, pure love essence. Mm. And I talked to the practitioner about it afterward. And the message that I got clearly, because she was holding space and facilitating, but the message that I got was that I experienced myself, my true self, my true mm. essence. So... Mm. I love that you just kind of mentioned the stars and, and, you know, I, I am not keen on the Bible and I know you went to Bible college, so mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of that story. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've heard of Abraham and all this, mm -hmm. and when you said Abraham, I immediately think of, okay, Abraham Hicks, like, you know, mm -hmm. Esther, Esther Hicks that channeled Abraham. Mm -hmm. Is that the same Abraham or is that just, I know nothing as I ought to know. Yeah. I don't know anything. I, I'm just, I look at, you know, my philosophy with religion and the books of religion, whether they be Christian, whether they be um, Buddhist, whatever it may be, is I look at all of those things as allegories. And it's a spiritual allegory. In other words, the, an allegory can be true. It can be a true story 1000%. But when we look at it in a spiritual allegory, we we get from it the spiritual meaning, the and that is much more powerful than this other side of things. We we fight wars and kill each other over things that happened thousands of years ago that we cannot prove, right? So it's quite sad. Rather than looking at these stories and uh, realizing whether they're Hindi stories or Tao stories, that these stories are powerful conduits. For spiritual truth that's what they are um so we can look at um we can look at a lot of these stories and they're very universal 
and they actually most of them come from the heavens that's where they come from because everything comes from the heavens because that's what rules over earth everything that we feel all the energy exchange that we go through here it's all generated by the movement of the stars and the sun and the moon so um yeah it's yeah i i get i get what you're saying um that's cool um <laughs> yeah i mean i think that i just i don't know you're just inspiring me to have all these ideas and just challenge my own beliefs of you know all that is <laughs> yeah well what you said about the stars right for example like yeah. i look up at the heavens and i don't believe that the heavens are light years away okay i don't believe that um i believe that the heavens are present above us how far above us i can't reach that high and i haven't met anyone that can so with any technology so to me, I, I look up at them, and if we take a telescope or a really high zoom camera, like a P900, you'll see that they have like almost like a sentient rhythm, um, and they have beautiful sacred geometry and coloration that comes through them, and they're very consistently themselves, but yet very beautiful in their movement. And when you look at them, uh, you know, through video and not just a still image, it's a very powerful thing. And a lot of people in some of the communities that I'm in of thought, they look at the stars and think what you said, that think that this is sentient beings above, right? And maybe our life here has something to do with that as well. Maybe it's a different life. Maybe that, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, but when I look at things universally, I, I take things like people say angel. Well, angel just means messenger, right? And people say alien. Alien just means foreigner. Right. So we, we can take words and we think we know what this might mean, but get out of the box. Right. Open your mind because there's so many things. And it's like when I started looking at uh, uh, again, I don't it's funny you say about the Bible and I don't curse the Bible. I'm a student of the Bible, but I am not a Bible thumper. I don't use the Bible to derive my explanation of any one thing. Um and I don't really even read it much anymore, but I studied it quite a bit. So I remember a lot of it. Um, mm -hmm. And you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, in the Bible, it says we, in Leviticus, it gives all the holy days for the, for the, um, the people of Israel, right? And again, Israel, we, we say these things. Well, Israel is Isis, Amun Ra, Elohim. Okay. It's these three, this picture of these three entities, and they just put it all in one. And what I've found of history is they cherry pick things and say, oh, Lindsay said this and John said this. And they were all this kind of universal missiologist. So let's take all of their thoughts that we like, set them all up as one thought and put them in another being. Maybe that's Lindsay. So all the rest of us, they forget and they just know about Lindsay and all these thoughts. And it seems to come from her because she was a universal missiologist. But in reality, they took her thoughts and everybody else's. And just kind of manipulate it into this new thought. And now they control the truth. And I think that's what they do. And it's the same with Israel. It's the same with the Bible. You know, we have to remember that many people were illiterate when the Bible was a book. So how do we know what the Bible was intended for? Whether it's true or not true. Whether it holds beautiful meaning or not. You know, a lot of people are polarized by things like the Bible. Um, but it's, it's very interesting that... Um, we we have to be more humble, I believe, 
in what we think we know about all of this stuff. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> deception is amazing, right? Because yeah. it's always about getting one over on someone when you're in fear state. And what, what this world seems to have been, like you talked about the westernization, these, you know, how we just, that's why I think you, you crave for other cultures because we have this deadening, this deafening to us, this dumbness to us where we're just, we're, we're, we're not really observing reality very much. We're inside some other reality, some virtual augmented reality and things are moving that way for all of us. So it's, it, and, and we can just feel that that's not our mission. And, and when we walk that path, we're not going to get the energy exchange that's required for us to meet our mission because we're in the wrong space with the wrong thoughts, with the wrong, you know, and, and it's not going to serve our purposes, even though we might think it might because, you know, we have good intentions and we're just using these things as a medium. But some of these mediums have been set up on a lot of distorted ideas, you know, and that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> That's the problem, you know. Yeah, I I definitely hear what you're saying, and I, cause who knows, really? Like, mm -hmm. who knows why? Like you said, like the Bible's written during a time of a lot of illiteracy, and then it's like, who even really wrote the Bible? Like, there's mm -hmm. just a lot of questions, mm -hmm. and I guess that leads me, because I've been thinking in the back of my mind, like, since you talked about, okay, like, I disassociated, like, you kind of gave up Christianity after going to Bible college, mm -hmm. and so I really wanted to kind of go back there for a second and ask, okay, hey, what was it that made you as you're getting deeper into that made you kind of okay I'm actually going to look at other things instead yeah absolutely it was the behavior of the people that were um <laughs> like leading the mission right it was yeah. their behavior um that's what it was so that's for hard, me yeah I, I was never a yes man okay mm -hmm. but I was very um very zealous you could say or very like you know um driven okay um i was born in uh december 9th and that's the time of drive so i'm a very driven person and um i was born on the 9th out of the 10th day of that period of time which i kind of think like if you're on a drive right and you get nine tenths of the way there and maybe it's a long drive you're like we're finally there like that's kind of my personality like yes all the time so when I was in Bible college and things like that I was very gung-ho and ready to go and even when I moved to Africa I was not under anything because I went on my own right I just went I didn't have them supporting me or anything like that so I could make my own decisions I didn't have a direct commitment to them although I felt you know committed to them but I didn't have a, a written commitment um but when I was there, it was it was just seeing seeing unfold the the lack of accountability and the lack of um, of honesty. Um, and and to me, if you're going to stand in a place where you are helping your fellow man see the image of God, right? That's what you're trying to do, and you're going to live in a distorted image, right? You're going to paint one picture and live another or, you know, uh, lift up these kind of character traits. But then when, when the 
hits the fan, you don't do that. To me, that was very disturbing. And um, being someone that in my church, they felt like I could be a um, like a preacher or something like this, you know. And I always felt a little bit uncomfortable because so many of the preachers I did not like. Um, so I was like, I don't want to be like those guys, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I even told that to the guy that was in charge of our African mission. And, um, and uh, anyhow, I just was slow to, to, to join that kind of thing because I just, um, I already felt uncomfortable with way some of the things they would exemplify. Uh, but when things yeah. went wrong, our pastor got very old and um, had some issues, and then things came out, and uh, there was money involved, of course, and there was a lot of sexual uh, sexual sins involved that had been covered up and hidden and money stolen and all these kind of things. And uh, I was completely like i'm not a money guy so i was like completely unaware of like all these things like even the possibility of them at that time in my life um and when all that came out i because they were looking at me in this way like oh you could be with us i was like i'm going to take them to that so when i came back from africa they had a meeting with all the pastors and they allowed me to go so i went and when i was there i stood up in front of them and said how can you believe that you can continue to lead when you're throwing out your leader and you're not going to rethink your path, right? Like if you were being led in a certain way and now you're saying the guy leading is not a good guy, but we're going to keep going that way. It's like, is it like what? Like there's a disconnect there, you know? And, and yeah. me as a young buck in this room in my twenties, I stand up in front of like 50, 60 people, whatever was there and speak that way. And then when we had a breakout session, it was the same thing. And I just felt like it was my, like, I'm going to use what, what place I'm in, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, I'm going to use that place to, you know, honor the truth. And that's what I tried to do. And then after that, um, I went to everybody, there were seven board members, and I went to everybody on the board that I could to their home and then basically just cursed them out at their house um, because I was so like upset that they would treat people because I had a lot of families that I was integrated with there. And I saw literally families separated over these ideas, over these thoughts, over these decisions, over these, you know, religious points of view or, or whatever it might be. And I felt that was so the opposite of the point, right? Um, like the family of God is a family. And if that family is going to break up families, then it's not a very good family of God. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was, it was a horrible time to, to see these things going down. And as I got through that, at first I blamed the people involved and I blamed like this situation. I saw it very like polarized, like, Oh, this is my experience. This is this. And as I went in life, and especially being someone who has kept myself out of the box uh, at all times and in many situations, I've learned now that like, actually that's everyone's experience with everything. Like we are so, everything is so cultic. It's so cultic. And we have to be so careful when we're in a culture to not become cultic. Um, it, it, it's, it's not a good thing because it, it all of a sudden draws those lines of a box around us. And, and now we can't breathe. We can't, we don't have an exchange of energy. We're now stagnant and the water is going to get filthy and we're going to get sick. Um, 
And you can't change that. You can't change that by saying like, it, like we're not going to be that way. No, no, no. If you go those ways, it will be that way. You know, if you go to a place where there's one man speaking and everyone listening and he's standing above you and you're sitting below him and he's covered by a pulpit and you're open in a chair and he's one big mouth and you're a bunch of small ears, what will your experience be as a group? It, you'll be sheep and he'll be the shepherds like you you won't ever become like your own man or woman right because of the way it's set up and i think if we're more like children we can just see that picture and be like yeah this picture doesn't make sense you know what i mean like a good picture would be like we all get in a circle and we start yeah. talking it, you know what i mean it's like a child can see that like that would be a better system of exchange why are we in this system of exchange you know and very few people think about these pictures they're just like oh yeah but i love what we're talking about this book's the best, you know what I mean? And, and whether it is or not, they're, they're, they're giving that book and that time and that energy to a dynamic that can't serve their purpose in the long run. And that's why we have to think about what the hell, how we're structuring, like you said, how we're ritualizing what we do. Yeah, and oh my God, I feel like this is so on time, this conversation. Because I also want to talk about like what you described as like shepherd, sheep, and like group think is kind of what I want to talk about a little bit because lately I'm, you know, I am clear in the sense of I, you know, just trying to really listen to my inner voice and, and that. And I had an experience at work um, where I felt that I had to speak up for myself and, and kind of take an action against what's, considered the norm if you will and when I told the story to a couple people their response to me was well that's just the way things are and I said well you know what that is the problem mm -hmm. that people so I'll just say it like I was working at a restaurant which you know if you've ever worked in a restaurant can sometimes the lines of professionalism are very blurry yeah and I've been getting this intuition lately that I need to go there. I've been getting this feeling and it hasn't gone away. And I prayed to God, God source, angels, all the things I, for a clear sign. Okay. Yesterday I went to go to my shift and I couldn't find my keys for the life of me, which is bizarre. So then I couldn't find my keys for 30 minutes. Wow. I walked outside where I was walking Charlie and I found the keys. I was going to be late to work. I got to work. I was in the mindset, okay, I'm here. I'm going to do my best. I went downstairs because uh, it's a it's a big place. I went downstairs. I asked uh, one of the managers a question, and his response to me was, it's right here, with the middle finger right in my face. Mm -hmm. I didn't get angry. I walked upstairs, found another manager. I said, this is what occurred, and I'm leaving. And I'll just be honest on here, like, you know, struggling a little bit financially right now, but to me, it was more important to listen to my inner voice that was like, you need to leave from here and not accept that behavior, mm -hmm. put me in a lose-lose situation in a way, because if I stayed, it okayed that type of a behavior. And if I left, I lose my job, my money, and I let the rest of my team down. But to me, it was more important that I left and not accepted that behavior because I'm personally trying to build up my own self-worth. And, and 
and cut out that type of frequency around me. Mm-hmm. So when I told, you know, certain people about that, they said, oh, well, that's just the way restaurants are. Mm-hmm. That's just the way men are to women sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, that right there is the fucking problem. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that that's kind of like, I just have that Joan of Arc energy in me where mm-hmm. I'm going to do what's right, whether society agrees or doesn't agree. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how I felt about the COVID vaccine. Like I didn't, my, I didn't feel comfortable getting that in my body. Mm-hmm. What you do with your body is you are a sovereign being. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. tell me what to do. I was literally ready to get fired from my job for my beliefs. Yeah. Because the other part of it was, oh, well, I just, oh, I just, oh, because everyone's doing it. Because everyone's right. doing it. Right. And that's that's just not who the fuck I am. And so yeah. I like your analogy, your story about the power over the others. It's like. Yeah. I guess I'm here on earth to make waves is really what I'm saying. It's, Amen. And like, I literally said to myself, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent, but you know what? I trust in source and God and goodness because I'm not going to accept that type of behavior and that eliminating that type of behavior, I believe is going to open up channels of abundance for me because I, yeah. our self worth is directly correlates to our abundance. Mm-hmm. I like that. And that my wife on a tangent. <laughs> no, no, I love that tangent. And it's right what we were talking about, really. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense that that's what you would vibe with, because that's very much like for me, I feel like that is a big part of my life. Like uh, people saying, don't make waves. Right. Go with the flow like this kind of thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, no, you do what's right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, and, and I think like, I'm not the best with boundaries, which I think is part of what you're talking about there. My wife, um, has become like very good with that in her life. Um, and I think it's very important. And I think actually it's, you're controlling like what gets into the gateways of your, of your senses, right? Your eyes, your ears, your, like, so it's very crucial actually. And you're putting yourself in potentially a, a more wholesome situation, which will have better karma and bring you, you know, better results. And people can look at it and say that. And I do know about restaurants. I've worked uh, as, as a server here at night uh, during some of the time I've been here for 16 years. My dad opened restaurants, so I used to work in them as well, more in the cooking than the serving. But I have served quite a few times, too. And I understand that you know, you'll have a manager in the hallway, you know, snorting Coke or something like this. So, you know, the lines of where professionalism are, are sometimes not present there. It's like, you know what, too, I'll just say disclaimer, I don't even give a shit per se about Mm -hmm. professionalism as Mm -hmm. I do about respect. Respect. Yeah. Like, I just felt, you know, and, and, and then, you know, he did say, oh, I was kidding. You seem cool. You're from New Jersey. Like, I'm from New York. I, you're one of my favorites here. Right. I, thought, I thought I could mess with you. And it's just like, I don't know. I think that, and this is also my own personal healing journey of not accepting that type of behavior, this mm-hmm. treatment, this whatever treatment from men or anyone in general. And I feel like it has to start somewhere with me. 
where I'm not saying, oh, that's fine. That's fine that you do that. That's fine. Because then I'm giving the okay to the universe that that bullshit behavior is fine. Right. And I don't think it is. I get it. And the 2020 thing, if I may speak about that for just a second, um, that was quite a thing in my life. Sorry, um, I went there. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm open to wherever we go, and I'm, and we're here. So, um, for me, I have been um, looking into taboo things in society for the last um, 18 years. So basically, since I've left Christianity, um, after a time of like winter and just being me every day. And not really looking at anything. Um, I just told the source. I, I told God, like I I can't I can't do this anymore. Like I lived my whole life for this, and now it's changed. So now I'm just gonna live my life with my family, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to bring yourself to me. You know, I'll be in the winter, and you'll bring in the summer. And He has in my life, and it's been great. But with that, I have looked into many things, and some of those things are where billions of dollars go. Um, and things like that. So in March of 2010, I wrote about what became COVID-19, okay, in March of 2010. And I can read it right now for you. I sent it to 300 people, a letter that I wrote. And I even had the players write and who would be involved. Because I studied Dr. Fauci when he used the HIV virus to blame uh, AIDS. I studied these things and I saw these people and Bill Gates and his corruption with money with that project and killing many, many innocent people that were sick um, uh, that had AIDS. So it's, it's quite an amazing thing. And when I was in Africa, I saw the AIDS clinics and I heard about how they're not benefiting people and uh, these kind of things. So for me, I was prepared for this COVID-19. The other side of it was that in December on the winter solstice in 2020, on the 21st that year, um, there was the Great Conjunction. And yeah. the Great Conjunction happens every 19 and a half years when Jupiter and Saturn are in alignment or in conjunction. Mm-hmm. So um, that tends to be quite an influential thing in, in society as a whole, um, especially with authority. A lot of times like kings and queens and presidents and stuff, they tend to have, if they get murdered, it's like on the Great Conjunction year. It's, it's very interesting. Um, but anyways, there was that point, and that had never happened in the last 10,000 years that you can go back on uh, astrology software. You can't find a time when the Great Conjunction happened on the winter solstice. So that was quite interesting. And then every, um, I believe it's uh, 128 years or so, the Great Conjunction, um, it happens in like a triangular pattern. So it always happens on the same sign. So if it's in the earth sign, the next conjunction 19 and a half years later is in the next earth sign and then the next earth sign. And it just goes through the earth signs for like 128 years. And then it gets to the air signs. And that point happened on December 21st. And that's when it went from Capricorn to Aquarius, right? The great conjunction. So now for the next 128 years, it'll be in the air signs. Every great conjunction will be in an air sign. So I knew that was happening. And there was other things also happening. So a lot of these astrological things were going to happen right around December 21st, 2020. So years before that, I was saying about three years before, I was saying, I believe that that day will matter for three years. For about a year and a half before that day and a year and a half after that day, that day is going to have an effect. I don't know what kind of effect. I know a little bit, you know, from understanding, but like, I don't know exactly what effect. 
but I knew it. And I also had predicted that these people are trying to do these evil things. And then, boom, it all came together on March 13th, Friday the 13th, you know, 2020. That's when they put all this into measure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I felt very much like you, as I always have, that that was not um, – no one has authority to muzzle my face and stop my breath and put um, – you know, inside of these masks are many chemicals and things that are not good for your health. Um, it's not good to cover your nose and mouth in that fashion for long periods of time. As someone who works in attics, I sometimes have to wear a mask and there are rules for wearing the mask and we're not following them now that we're using it as a medical device, you know, and then on and on, even with the um, the vaccination or even with the coronavirus. Coronavirus is an endemic virus, according to all medical literature, which means it's always present in the body to a lesser or greater degree. And it's known as the common cold. So it was as if they framed this to create something whole another way. Um, and to me, COVID-19 was the certificate of vaccination identification for AI. Because, you know, 1919 is AI in, in language. So um, I, I looked at it as a, a point where they were utilizing the, the major shift in the, the heavens. They were utilizing that point in time to bring a major shift of their own in society. And hopefully that the shift in the universe gave them the space by which to force their change. And that's how I saw that whole thing playing out. And there are those of us like yourself and I that were not willing to go with it. Like I left my job because I saw what was coming and I was working for my first time in my life for two years, I was working for a corporate company doing my job. Right. And, uh, and it was funny. We, my wife and I would have to go get tested for nicotine and they test your blood before you can get your insurance for the year. And when we went up in February, 2019, my wife and I, the lady in charge of HR, there was about 800 employees. Um, she had a new assistant and I, I went up to her and I just had the vibe in 2019. So I went up to her and I said, ma'am, Jennifer, I said, I want you to know, Jen, that I will never take a flu vaccine or anything. Like I don't vaccinate my kids. So I was like, I will not be doing anything like that. So I just want to put that out there. So if there's anything that comes in the future where we need to get something, I want you to know that I won't be doing that. OK. And her assistant, who I've never met before, says, well, that's OK, because in a year, you all will be chipped. That's what she said. And she might have been speaking in jest. You know, I have no idea. But the vibe, the vibe. Right. Like I was just like, holy mackerel, that's something. And from that day, I began praying um, and just said, God, just just whatever. Lead me in a way that I I can find another way than this, because I don't want to lose the support for my family. But I also am not going to be doing this. Um, yeah. So if this is going to happen here, lead me. And then my one of the, as I subcontract down here, one of my old bosses I used to subcontract for, he called me and I, I'm working for him now. And it's been a blessing. Um, yeah. It's not the easiest, but it's just a blessing where he's not into that stuff either. So it's allowed me to escape that whole thing. And and it's it, it's tough. And, and, and that kind of thing that we are all going through as a society where we all know something's not right. We all know we, we can't agree on that because we don't know what's really going on to the degree we need to, but we all can feel it. And yet as a people, like we're not getting around the fire talking about it, you know? And I think that's, that's an example of what you're saying. Like, that's what we need in our society is to gather around the fire as equals, allow the women to speak, allow the men to speak, allow the children to speak, allow everyone to 
come up with like how they're feeling so we can say, okay, not only let's escape this, but let's move into this new direction. It's easy to prophesy the bad, but can we prophesy the good? You know what I mean? Like, that's what we need to do. Like, let's align ourselves and set ourselves up for the good and not based upon uh, stepping on each other's heads and stealing from one another. But let's like produce together and co-create together and collaborate together, because I think that's how as a society we can even as small societies of small groups of people, we can change our reality with that, you know, and I think there's plenty the abundance of creation is there, as you talked about earlier, you know. And I'm loving, I just like, I really love this conversation. I feel like it's been, I always feel like when I have these talks that it's always in alignment with something that's going on in my life or whatever. And I can't even believe it, but we've been talking for like an hour now. Awesome. <laughs> so it's so awesome. And I'm like, usually I, I cap this at an hour. So I guess I just want to ask, you know, um, is there anything extra? else that you want to share before we like kind of close out I feel like we could really like talk forever and I always find this with my guests like it just the conversation just starts to flow mm. but is there anything that you want to share anything else you want to share like <laughs> no I don't I don't think so um like you know, how, I, can people, how can people connect with you yeah so I do I, I used to have a, a Instagram channel that I put a lot into and it got hacked about a year and a half ago. So I don't have that anymore. And I, I gave up my Facebook long ago because um, I don't like when the feeds can change. Like I liked it when it was just the way it was. Like if you text something, if you put something on there at eight o'clock, I could always find that message at eight o'clock that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But now that can be switched around and I wasn't a fan of that. I do have a YouTube channel and that's truth, love, and freedom at youtube.com. I don't post a ton there, but you can find me through there. You can contact me. Um, I have a bunch of podcasts I've done on um, some intimidating subject matter. So people are, if you have an open mind, you can go check it out. And I live in Little River, South Carolina. I'm a part of a really cool community of people here. Lindsay's one of those people. Um, I have a group of men that I have the privilege of meeting with once every other week. And uh, the group's called Reverence, um, which is a big thing I really love, uh, reverence um, to, you know, uh, deeply respect, which is a big part of what you were talking about, um, that kind of idea and bringing that, uh, looking at life as, as sacred and looking at people as divine, right? I think that's like the recipe for success. Um, and um, so I'm just, I'm blessed to, to be where I am and uh, looking for better things in the future and hoping that we can help this community that I'm a part of, this neighborhood that I live in, um, whether things get tough in the near future or not, that we can band together because that's where all happiness is anyway. You know, not whether things are tough or not, a rainy day or a sunny day. It's the people you're with and how that yeah. communion is, right? Like that's what can make every experience rich and beautiful. So, um, that's all. I love it. Well, it's been awesome talking to you. I feel like you should have a part two. Yeah, awesome. And continue the conversations. But yeah. um, thank you all so much for, you know, tuning in, listening, watching, however you're consuming the information. Um, I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. Definitely send me some feedback. Um, or if you want John to come back on the podcast, let me know. 
And I hope y'all have a blessed uh, rest of your week. Thanks.